Hi everybody, welcome back to Chronic But Iconic. Today we have the wonderful Dominique from Invisi Youth. She is such a powerhouse and I am so, so thankful to have her on the show today and for her to take time out of her busy schedule to come on and talk to us all. I know that you're going to get so much from this episode, so much empowerment. So please, please enjoy and yeah, take a listen. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Sophie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Can can you hear me perfectly? I am sitting in front of my wireless router in my in my office. Yes, I can. I can. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. I'm so glad we can connect properly this time. Oh yes, of course. I'm keeping all of my fingers and toes crossed that my Wi-Fi decides to be nice to me for the next hour. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on today. Of course. Thank you for having me. No, I know how busy you are. You're you're such a lady boss. It's amazing what you do. (laughs) And perfect timing. I have a sign on my desk in my home office that says boss lady, so I appreciate the title. There you go. Well, welcome. And to start off, let's just give everybody a brief backstory into a bit about yourself and your work, because you are constantly on the go, always on to the next project. And you're such a, a massive heart. You've got, you know, a massive heart that always helps people. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, of course. So sort of the Cliff Notes version of the past, I guess, 10 years of where everything sort of started for me. Well, I'm the founder and executive director of a global nonprofit called Invisive Charity. That's how I know lovely Sophie here is one of my global (laughs) brand leader all stars. I call her my MVP in the UK always. Um, (laughs) And so the whole idea of Invisive Charity being a nonprofit that works to support teens and young adults who have all types of chronic illness or disability. So we work across the physical and mental health spectrum and with visible and invisible illness, really giving them leadership programming, virtual programming, events and activism campaigns to help them really thrive in life with any sort of health struggle. And as I like to say, is a big token for my own daily journey, as well as with the charity that we never want any young adult to feel like they're waiting for a cure or recovery to be able to build a life for themselves and have that sort of wonderful journey of being able to bring things into their life. We want them to have access to things to empower them tomorrow and not making them wait for another opportunity with health. So that was really sort of the stem of what Invisi Youth represents. And for myself, obviously, I'm, I'm a 26-year-old um, founder in ED. Yeah. So when people tend to ask, well, how did you end up building a nonprofit, especially at my age, I usually have to say, well, I technically am one of the young people that would be within Invisi-Youth's demographic for support. So, yes. um, so, um, yeah, so I was a competitive tennis player um, for about eight years um, on and off and playing in my, my high school or secondary schooling team and wanting to play in a university for that and sort of the end goal was hoping in my early 20s to be able to try the pro circuit was sort of where I was working towards at that point and 
obviously I know, you know, Sophie as well with your athletic background and for a lot of people who would be listening, um, being a teenager and playing competitively, you tend to play through every, every injury, every pain, because you're trying to just get better. You don't think anything's going to happen from playing through different injuries that you end up getting, which unfortunately I was doing quite a bit. Um, And then at one of my sort of early practices that I had when I, right before my 16th birthday, I ended up getting an injury in my left hand, which is my dominant side, um, hitting something off of the face of my racket. I felt sort of a burning sort of fire within my wrist through my hand um, is the best explanation. And nobody really knew what was going on. Luckily, my mom is a nurse for over 35 years. So I have that that is sort of my tool in my back pocket. And she was able to really give me a quick exam and call an orthopedic and have me see him the next day. And they thought it was going to be a tendonitis and go through physical therapy. But as an athlete, I've had tendonitis about four times prior to that. So I knew this sort of burning pain that was very not similar to my previous injuries. And so fast forward a week, my hand was about four times the size. It was navy blue and shiny. Yeah, I couldn't even move my fingers because the swelling was so bad. Um, And the pain is sort of the best description of it, I say, is if you're sort of taking burning coals and wrapping it with barbed wire. It was like a stabbing and burning pain throughout all day. It was 24-7. Yes, so my my, um, doctor did another exam, had no idea what was going on, and said, well, you probably have something called reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And we'll just add more physio. So he wasn't super confident in the diagnosis because he said, well, this looks very abnormal, but I don't really know what else to call it. So that's really where that the the tailspin, as I like to say, of the, the revolving door of doctors and procedures came into play and kind of to give a quick little summation of what RSD stands for. It's a type of neurovascular condition. So it affects my sympathetic nervous system, which is what's in charge of sort of touch and movement and that sensation. And it ends up, you have a typical circuit that if you get an injury, your nervous system goes through an injury process and it completes the circuit and it heals itself. But with my injury, I broke that circuit. So there was a gap between injury and healing. So my body would go through the injury process and then it would stop because it couldn't connect it back and then continue to re-injure so it has um you have muscle spasms and sweat a lots of swelling bruising because it ruptures your vascular system um nerve pain loss of sensation um and severe temperature changes so um and at this point the only real treatment that's done consistently sort of across the board is extensive physical therapy um especially in the states So my doctors kept sending me to more and more specialists because I wasn't responding at physical therapy at all. My hand just kept getting worse and worse. The bruising was turning my hand almost black. I lost the complete movement in my hand. So I had to teach myself. Yeah, fun fact, I'm ambidextrous now because in order to stay in school, I taught myself to be right-handed so I could still take notes and everything. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fun party now. Um, (laughs) And and I'm sort of through that whole journey, I, all of my doctors kept saying, well, there, you have RSD, but there's some underlying condition here that you're, that is causing your body to, to really exp- 
flowed in a different direction. And so it was every, I always say every type of ology they could have sent me to, I went to, it was rheumatology, cardiology, um, oncology. It was sort of across the board having tests and procedures and in and out of hospitals while I was still trying to go to high school at the same time and stay as a full-time student. So um, it just was pretty much majority of the rest of my teen years, even going into um, the high school set into where I was transitioning to go into a university setting. Um, it took about two and a half years before wow. I got proper. And yes, so um, my physical therapy wasn't responding because there I have an underlying connective tissue disorder, which is genetic. Um, and obviously from my tennis injury and from nerve damage, it ended up what would have slowly developed as I aged what sort of took a fast track and it all hit ahead at the same time. So unfortunately, with a hyper elasticity in my muscles and collagen, the injuries to my left side from my nerve damage sort of feed off of my connective tissue disorder. So I wasn't able to heal at all either way. I was consistently re-injuring my body without me feeling an injury because I could dislocate my joints and pop my muscles back and forth over my hips or my jaw. So which was natural for me to do, but they ended up my body consistently responded to injury very dramatically. So um, after two and a half years and finally getting proper treatment, I was in my later teens, I was 18 at that point. And um, I at that point, I really just wanted to like a lot of young people, I, ju I just wanted to be a normal teenager and go to university and not deal with being dominant yeah. with the chronic illnesses and all of that. So I immediately said, well, that's, this is, thanks everybody. I'm able to manage on my own now and I'm just going to go to university. And I ended up going further away from home um, at that point. So it pretty much cut off all of my physio connections I had where I'm at in New Jersey, which is sort of Eastern um, the eastern coast of the United States. And then um, I was also doing acupuncture at that time to help with symptoms, which was really helping right. me sort of as the secondary symptoms. And I cut off everything at that point. And unfortunately, in the combination of a bad ac living accommodations and having a university that wasn't accommodating to my medical needs, my, um, my full nerve damage just jumped right back to square one within two weeks. Oh and I had to yeah, I had to make the the hard choice because my academics was very important and I prided myself on putting my education first and sometimes putting my health second because I didn't want that to be taken away, if you will, at that point. Yeah, cool. So um, I, I made the call and said, you know, I'm going to take a semester off from university. I was very lucky that the university I graduated from, St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, they accepted me for the following semester the day I left my first university and said, we'll see her in January. She's here with her full scholarship. We'll wait for her, which Amazing. was such a yeah. blessing yeah, to have that university support. And luckily, a lot of my doctors at that time were in Philadelphia. And I was able to, I always, my friends in university joked, I had this, this alter life on the weekends because I was going home <sighs> for acupuncture and physical therapy, but I never told anyone. Oh. Um, so they I had a second job or I was always traveling, but I, I always say for myself, I didn't meet anyone who had a chronic illness until I built Invisi Youth. So my entire teenage years into my 20s, 
I was usually the only person any of my friends met who had a chronic illness um, at all. And it became very challenging for my friends, as a lot of young people do, trying to understand what was happening, why I wasn't hanging out with them. I wasn't available a lot of the time because I was at doctors or I physically couldn't do much but try to go to school. So um, it became very hard to include my friends in the health side of what was going on, which was a big portion of my life for many years. So I always sort of kept my illness portion of my life very secret to them. Um, I would joke around if you didn't, if you could see what was going on, obviously, if my limbs at that point, um, after having so much up and down with my health, my nerve damage spread through the entire left side of my body. Oh so my it went God. into my left, my left leg. It went into the left side of my neck and head. So I had memory loss. I would visually black out on the left side um, and have swelling through the left side of my neck and head. So it was a lot going on medically that I was trying to to balance. But the sort of odd blessing in disguise was I was going to university. Obviously, the professional tennis player dream had to die. Um, So option two um, was I wanted to try to do philanthropic journalism, but being having chronic illnesses and traveling to countries um, that did not have very um, proper health care was not a very safe option for me. Right. So I had to try to edit that dream a bit. And so I went to university to work for non-governmental organizations like UNICEF and the UN's Refugee Commission. So I was going, I, I speak two languages, I was studying wow. English writing and international relations. And I was going down that the journey of doing something more philanthropic as a profession, but at the same time still being a patient. And I was at one of the, the best children's hospitals that are in Philadelphia as a patient at, in my teens and then going into my early 20s. And obviously, I am quite chatty. Yeah. Um, so my... My doctors that were there and some of the staff said, oh, it would be great if we could bring you in as a patient that would speak to the new employees, the new doctors and nurses and full staff at children's hospitals about what that teenage patient is like, because this is sort of the biggest demographic we have the most problems with, with doctors not knowing how to respond to them. So that was about eight or nine years ago now that I, I was the first patient that they brought in to speak at new employee orientations. And it became sort of this consistent conversation of having so many doctors and medical professionals saying, I don't really know how to help my teenager, my young adult patients. They're so their kids. I don't know how to engage with them. How do I, they're so concerned about their social life and their activities, but I'm trying to cure them or fix them. So they, I don't know how to speak to them. And it became a consistent topic over and over again in speeches I would have. And also myself as a patient, knowing I didn't really have any support out on the non-medical side of my life, outside of my family and my close friend group um, that were trying to be supportive to me. There was nothing there to help with me wanting fashionable medical accessories or how do I adapt to different um, after school activities or how do I get accommodations from teachers or where how do I balance that work health journey that I'm on. And no doctor could really answer the non-medical questions I had. So I was always just 
blindly figuring it out myself. And so it became more of a conversation as I did public speaking and went to more hospitals and spoke with social work and all of their different departments that it kind of became an idea of, oh, well, maybe you should just start your own support group network. And then it became, well, let's put it into one hospital where you'll work with young adult patients about the medical side of their life with a chronic illness. But like many people, I know like yourself and so many people that I get to work with now, a lot of times you don't get the blessing of being in one hospital with all of your doctors in one physical building. You tend to bounce to many outpatient facilities or your general physicians or multiple hospitals in different areas. So I said, well, I was never a patient in just one building. So I would want something that's tangible to teenagers and young adults that they could have access to. And so then I had one doctor jokingly say, well, instead of graduating and working for a nonprofit, you should just have your own. And I then took him seriously. And so um, my entire senior year of my university year, um, when I was turning 22 and I was graduating that year, I ended up building Invisi-Youth Charity my senior year. So my friends joke they had very relaxing senior years. And I was going home and meeting with accountants and lawyers and graphics and building this whole nonprofit so that it was ready to launch. We got our, in the States, we have um, non, non-profit status. So we have a 501c3 rating, which is what you get when you're registered in the US, which was great to have right when we launched. And I launched it four and a half years ago. So it was a month after I graduated from university. Um, we built Invisi Youth and right away. I always joke the my UK family jumped right in immediately. I don't know if everyone thought I was British or not because I'm so pale, <laughs> but um, immediately I had this big UK support from families and teenagers and young adults and really people saying, as you know, and we talk about it so much, there's such a, there's such a hunger within the young adult community with chronic illness or disability that it's not illness specific or it's not a wish granting charity or research based charity, which is so wonderful. And I love those nonprofits, but there was nothing that was tangible that could just help them on a daily life level. And so that was where we really got to step in and bring together so many young adults. We work now in eight countries, which is unbelievable. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been a very, it's been a very fun journey. It's been challenging as well, being a younger nonprofit owner and having your own chronic illnesses like I do and trying to balance running your own charity while also trying to work at the pace that a lot of other businesses and nonprofits get to work at. So it's a lot of, a lot of give and take and balance and trying to always adapt what I can do medically with what I want to do professionally. So it's, it's been a very fun journey the last four and a half years. And like I said, we have our global brand leader program. That's how you got to come into the fold with we do um, as well. So it's been, it's been probably the, as much as the chronic illness side can be very challenging. It's also something that has given me such a beautiful opportunity in my life. So you have to take the good and the bad that comes with a chronic illness all the time and I think um it's it's very very difficult because like you're saying you were a teenager when you first began getting symptoms and becoming unwell and it's not like you're just having you know to sort of deal with the health problems it's having to lose your career feel like you're fighting the health professionals who are supposed to be helping you 
and you just kind of feel at a loss and it's a very very hard period of time because that's when you should be growing and exploring your inner self but instead you feel lost absolutely it's and you really hit it right on the head with that I always I'll I'll always say being a teenager and into your 20s sort of that whole 13 to 30 age group is really where you hone in on your own interests but also you get so much choice of what you want to study what are your interests how you like to speak with friends what are what are things you want to be passionate about professionally and personally and when you have a chronic illness a lot of your choices are taken they away are. because naturally your your parents or your guardians and your medical professionals have to put your health first so a lot of your choice options get taken and you're sort of in the passenger seat of your own life and it becomes very hard to to know that you're not allowed to really make a lot of choice decisions on your own because you have to put your health first yeah, definitely and it's very difficult as well because you feel so alone because all of your friends you're watching all your friends develop they they have their career paths and you feel like a bomb's just gone off in your life and it's just absolute in chaos and you don't even know where to begin and I think obviously now we can look back and we think we've got so much inspiration and that's what's made us successful in the careers that we've decided to go down and how you've managed to make your charity so successful is because we know how it feels from personal experience and we're able to adapt that into helping other people and engage with the people that need our help most because we can feel their pain and not everybody has that because they haven't been through what we've been through so even though it's an awful thing to happen and and horrible to suffer with a chronic illness and battle with it every day it almost gives us some kind of skills and a trait that not many people have absolutely I say I say when we have teenagers or young adults or adults coming in wanting to get internships or job opportunities I always tell them the big the one of the biggest skills you will have as someone with a chronic illness or disability is your ability to adapt which is something that so many people who are healthy or non-disabled in quotes on that way they they have to learn that that's skill of adapting in a work environment or a university environment because they don't have to deal with that daily. But as someone with a chronic illness, you're constantly having to physically just adapt your own well-being to just accessibility into buildings or how you're able to use a computer or how you're able to deal with flare-ups while trying to manage projects at the same time. So it's, I always say, take what you think are some of the things that have become the most challenging for you. And that's where your skill set really lies and that's what you can look at an employer or in an interview and say yes I have to adapt to my health but I can adapt to one situation we'll have in the office five ways to somebody else coming in that only can adapt to one definitely and how do you sort of balance your work life and social life and health Oh, absolutely. I always I always say people tend to they as dealing with social media and that being such a prominence with the charity as well through a lot of our programming gets sort of pushed through our social media connection to a lot of young people. You tend to see the the positives of how when you succeed in adapting is what you tend to show. 
And even with the nonprofit, that's why with Invisi Youth, I wanted to make sure that I'm such a strong focal point for the charity, but that I'm not very visibly seen within the charity very much outside of hosting our video podcast Invisi Youth chat sessions. I host it, so obviously you have to hear this lovely voice or see my face a couple times a month if you watch those episodes. But outside of that, um, I tend to keep very much a backseat because I want the charity to stand on its own without my ups and downs being very visible within the charity. But the first year, I tell people all the time, I might be 26 now, um, and I was 22 when I built it, but... Um, that first year was very challenging just because I was outside of a typical university structure. I had to make my own schedule. I was my own employer. So I wasn't dealing with a typical 8 to 4 p.m. job with a boss that I could. I had sort of a scheduled structure to deal with. I had my own schedule to make for myself and being sort of, I always say, a very type A perfectionist yeah. when it came to my work. Um, that doesn't tend to work very well when you have a, not, a chronic illness because your body will laugh at you a lot of times what you think is capable. They're like, that's cute. You cannot do that today. Um, and so it was a lot of just sort of that mental mindset of not getting upset with myself yes. when I would be trying to wake up and I'm working from home that day and I'm looking going, I have a I have two pages of a checklist that need to get done and I'll be lucky if I get can get through half of one. And it's that you, having to get through those mental hurdles and knowing that you'll still have, you'll I will be more successful being able to help tomorrow and slow down myself than burning myself out to the point of a huge flare up or a huge wall that'll have to then be out of work for three days because I can't function. And it was a lot of it very luckily having my having my parents and my sister as well being so supportive since I built Invisi Youth and really if they noticed that I was working too hard or working through the night at different points or trying to get up early they would be Dominic you can't do this to your body because would would you tell one of these young adults that are coming to you through the charity to do what you're doing to yourself and I would always say of course not they have to they have to (laughs) balance and put things aside And they would laugh and go, well, why won't you do that for yourself? And it was a big sort of learning curve for me to just take it easy a little bit on myself and really be able to, through that first year of the charity, what what we did year one and what we do four and a half years into it now, the mission statement and the platform are still very much the same, that heartstring of Invisi Youth, but how we go about what we do is very different because I knew if I'm going to be at the helm of, of this ship and we're going to be global, um, I have to be able to do things more virtually, do things that are capable of me to give to my other board members, to my global brand leaders that come into it and to have them help when I know my body can't do it. And it was that sort of release on my little bit of the reins was important, but then also I had to really teach myself to allow people to know when I wasn't feeling well. I was like, I had said to you, I was very private about my own chronic illness journey. Friends of mine who've known me, for over 20 years, heard about my chronic illness for the first time when they came to a fundraiser. Oh they had never known anything. Yeah, and no, for a lot of them, it was it was a little bit shell-shocking. Mm. I had a few of my friends kind of come in um, to it. And even 
even cry to me and apologize because they knew they took a step back, but they didn't ask me what was wrong. Right. They just, they didn't want to get engaged yeah. in it and they saw what was happening. So for a lot of, of that journey, and I'm still very private, obviously I do public speaking for the charity and I talk about my health, but I have a narrative of my chronic illness that I have built a strength and a comfort and a, I'm very aware of that I'm comfortable yeah. sharing, but there's a lot of personal side that I keep to my close network of friends and loved ones in my family because that's what that's what helps me the most um, to be able to kind of have that portion of what I do kept for me. But for a lot of other people, it's very important to share that journey with people, to get advice from other young people, to have a social media setting of engaging with people with all types of chronic illnesses, because typically like you yourself and and me, I have nerve damage and connective tissue. You have Lyme yes. disease, but we can talk about our health journeys and laugh about the fact that we have so many similarities to what yeah. we do, but it's two completely different illnesses. And that's what really um, I've always said is probably the most helpful for me was getting to open my eyes to this whole community through Invisi Youth and seeing the way so many other young people like yourself have adapted on their daily life. And that's given me tips of, oh, I could probably try to do this. That might work. Or let me see if this way can be helpful. And it's knowing, I think sort of in a ending part of that, the biggest tip I gave to people was always, it's okay to continuously evolve. I always felt that when I came into a, a new normal with my health, okay, I have to be perfectly confident in my health journey. I have to be confident the way my body looks. Yeah. Um, having gone from being a competitive athlete to not um, to not being, um, working out, uh, you have to be comfortable in your skin in that way. And um, I always said, I'm allowed to have bad health days and bad mental health days and take that passenger seat and say, I need help. It's just, I today is a day I'm going to wallow and I'm going to be upset with my very long checklist. But that doesn't mean that the the month prior to where I, I'm being the ultimate girl boss in my mind, that doesn't completely get eliminated because I have one or two bad days. So it's consistently moving forward, knowing that I'm allowed to kind of have hiccups throughout the road and I'm allowed to change. And that's fine. Um, if I'm allowed to adapt to move into different paths, that's, that's fine. That doesn't mean what I was doing prior to it. It doesn't hold the same weight or the same importance. It's, it still does. It's just part of the journey. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. And like you were saying, obviously we suffer with completely different illnesses in different ways, but I think that was, it's a big thing to try and connect all chronic illnesses together because people can be, feeling alone or like they're the only one that, that's suffering with their disease or their illness when actually a lot of the, the diseases like crossover or have similar symptoms and I think it's important for people to be open and be willing to branch out to other illnesses and chronic diseases because it can open a lot of doors for them and you know they can find great comfort Oh, absolutely. And I always say, especially with with Invisi Youth, we have like you are a part of as one of our all stars, but we have a leadership program with our global brand leaders. But we also have volunteers that 
are more private about their health in a social media setting, yeah. but they volunteer with us. They, if you look at who they're following on social media, they're following so many of our global brand leaders or different nonprofits or brands that are very successful with the chronic illness and disability community, but they don't publicly engage in it because they're either that's just not how they like to yes. communicate their chronic illness journey, but they visually get to watch it. They'll ask questions of me. I can connect them to people privately. Um, and I always say sort of um, micro activism style of just D sending a DM to somebody is probably, as we say now, it's the way people connect to us yes. the most, but it's also the way that um, you're able to really engage with sort of self-growth um, as well, but also having that leadership platform, having all of all of you now, we have 40 um, brand leaders in seven different countries now across the States and Canada and the UK and Australia, and getting to see all of you interacting with one another and following each other and liking photos. And if one of our brand leaders in Canada has to go in the hospital, I have Australian brand leaders writing comments to them and out without me even knowing oh. or without the charity and so having that network of support like you said is so wonderful but then um, if you don't want to be so public in that activism platform there's options of you still getting the same amount of advice and growth within yourself and being able to do that um, at this level or at the stage that you feel the most confident in definitely and I think obviously you run your own podcast series and you have your own YouTube channel and everything you do on the social media platforms is very key as well because a lot of people will well with any chronic illness your confidence is zapped basically so a lot of people don't know where to begin or they don't want to like you were saying before actively be on the front lines let's say and sometimes just watching a YouTube video and listening to a podcast in their own time at their own leisure is sort of their way of slowly getting into it and then once they start sort of get the stories see more people that are going through the same thing as they are they then build that confidence up to reach out to people to then think oh I can hold a fundraiser or I can host a party and raise some money and it kind of builds and it snowballs and I know the way that Invisi Youth has grown over recent years just kind of goes to show how much it kind of snowballs once people build that confidence up. Oh, um, amazingly so. And even even just within our even our programming, there were brand leaders who came into this this current year of having um, the leadership program, but they had been following Invisi Youth for the three yeah. years prior. And I had no knowledge of them. My volunteers didn't because they I, I always say they were like the sneaky ninja volunteer supporters of the yeah. charity who were always liking photos or commenting, but I never knew what was going on because their their own platforms were either private or they didn't show they had an invisible illness and you didn't see what was going on and them coming in and slowly coming into the leadership programming having been with us now for about half of your half of your term if you will um for this year with a lot of us and seeing them really sort of getting to thrive off of one another and seeing how you would how you hosted I always say MVP but your fundraising style is, is oh, so grand you. and fantastic and, and 
Of course. And getting to then really encourage other brand leaders who had a little have don't have any experience fundraising, but going, well, this part of what Sophie did was really fun. And and I might not be able to do it to that large scale, but I can do that with my friends at my home and have a movie fundraiser or a cook-off at my house or a Taco Tuesday dinner and my friends can all bring in like a potluck of food and we can hang out and we can fundraise money and they can go on their phones and show different videos of what we do or show different people we follow and it gets to become a fun way for them to realize that the scale of how you can fundraise or support a nonprofit like Invisi Youth really it varies based on every person and also it can it can be inclusive that your your friends and family that are within the quote unquote healthy non-disabled yeah. community that they can then feel very included and engaged in it as well because now there's there's sometimes it's the non-verbal cue as I say with Invisi if you can come to one of our meetups that we'll host um, in different countries or they can come to their friend hosting um, sort of like a fun kickball tournament outside and fundraising for us. But they might wonder, why are you fundraising for a charity? And it's sort of a nonverbal cue from your one friend who has a chronic illness to your friend who does not. And they can then start to look into it. And it makes your friends who don't understand that journey personally, they can then feel a confidence to then ask you questions of, well, am I not, am I not asking you the right way to hang out? Or is there other things we can do beforehand um, that I know you can't physically go out with us because it might be too cold or your health might be having you flare, but maybe we can meet up at your house first and we can all meet there and then they can all go out, but you get to be part of the night in some way. And so there's, it's been fun on that side to really see, especially from the fundraising arm of what we get to do with Invisiuf to see um, so many young people go, I can, I can take ordinary things and make them extraordinary acts of fundraising. And my friends who don't have chronic illnesses can also get yeah. involved. And now they become more empathetic people because they now can see a, a peek into this world of what it's Definitely. like. So what would your sort of tips and advice be for people wanting to sort of help support the charity, whether it's hosting events or helping share about your podcast and, you know, talking about it openly on their social medias or even engaging in your social media posts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, Shameless Plug is a nonprofit. (laughs) Um, We thrive on donations. So clearly, thank you. Um, But then also outside of that, like you said, really, our all of our programming is provided for free. So all any subscriptions or follows on our social media and subscribing on our YouTube channel, we're on InvisiUF chat sessions being on all different podcast platforms like Google Play and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Um, I think it's Apple podcast now. Um, So getting to do that, that really keeps our lights on for what we're able to do. We'll be going into our third season in 2020, which is crazy. Um, Yeah. Um, But then also really in engaging with what we do when, when we're hosting fundraiser campaigns or when you see what young people are doing in terms of fundraising. It's, it's really realizing for, for us as a nonprofit, I always say our structure is very much the hangout meetup style because we, we love very big structured sort of grand fundraising events. They, they're, it's wonderful to get to see people really challenge themselves, getting to have 
different brands and different um, venue spaces, restaurants, and seeing them then actively donate their time or service or their space, um, donate funds as well has been so fantastic because obviously that helps us really expand our programming, especially on the virtual end and from the leadership programming as well. We're able to really then provide so much more. But then it's also realizing that in a small, tangible way, if every one of our listeners or viewers or followers was donating $5 a month, as we always say, give up one tea or coffee you'll have every month and donate it to charity, your, your, your capability of if every one of them, that's, that's 30 to 60 US dollars a year yes. and having thousands people doing that that's a a massive amount of positive change in a charity's life that you're able to provide so seeing some young people going I'm going to donate five five pounds at the start of every month to InvisiYouth and it's the same names we'll see on our donate button and it's through our website and them getting to do that every month they get to feel good they're doing something and then at the end of the year they really are able to look through our social media and see like wow look at how much they've done this year or getting to bring their friends involved and say, I naturally hang out with my friends at my house. We naturally have dinners. We have, we go out to the movies. We hang out at my house. We have game nights and we do all of these things, even on a university setting, yes. having hot parties and all of that. The, the simplest way of going, I'm going to have my natural flat party and have a donation bucket there and my friends can throw in change or a couple pounds into it. Imagine how much you can have your friends feel that they're giving back and they're paying it forward. And you're still doing what you naturally would have done with your friends. You're just then adding a charitable arm yeah. to it. And if mo- more people, especially out in the whole inclusive environment, the chronic illness and disability community, as well as our support network, both of them, if, if people really realized that fundraising doesn't have to be a 2,000 pound op- opportunity always, you can take 50 pounds and it's going to make as much of a difference to a charity like InvisiYouth as it would to anyone else. It's knowing that every amount or any action can really be giving back and, and, and you get to feel good. And as I yeah. say, tag, uh, tag us on social media. When you host a fundraiser, we will shout you out from the rooftops <laughs> in an Insta story and let everyone know on all of the countries we work in of how fantastic you are getting to give back to a group like Definitely. ours. And I'm sure you've got many, many dreams and goals for the future, but if you could name your top three, that would be amazing. Sure. I mean, I always, I always say this, and this is where my, my, my poor board of directors laughs and go, oh, Dominique, you're just such a philanthropist. <laughs> but the biggest goal I always said when I built InvisiYouth is I hope one day I get to be unemployed. <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, um, especially with me being 26 and uh, working and you have to yeah. pay bills and college loans and health insurance and all of that. But for me, I would love a point that everything that we do at InvisiYouth Charity, all of our leadership programming, that empowerment, our virtual programs, our events is something that becomes so common sense for young adults to feel within themselves, to challenge themselves, to engage with their friends and families, to get together and communicate to one another, having their their doctors and support systems actively communicate with yeah. them as well and provide that support 
if that becomes so common sense that what we do does not make sense anymore, that's the ultimate dream for me is that what I'm doing as a work function isn't needed any longer. And then I can become a florist (laughs) or something. Um, um, That wouldn't happen. I would become an author full time. We'll go, we'll go down that road. That's more realistic (laughs) than flowers. Um, But for sure. But that, I mean, ultimately for me is the biggest, the biggest goal I've always, I've always said with InvisiYouth, the real major dream is to have brands that I know are super interesting for the chronic illness and disability community, whether that's food products yes. or restaurants or or workout brands like we I'm a member of Orange Theory Fitness. That's a global type of smaller gym that you can go to um, and clothing companies and things of that nature to have them want to then actively sponsor programming of what we're doing to fund our leadership programming to be more of an apprenticeship that we're able to then fund behind our brand leaders and the work that they're doing for us to have our programming be sort of constant throughout the year, multiple events every month and letting brands get to really shine and flex their muscles of how they're being inclusive and how they're accessible and letting these restaurants or gyms or studios or art studios to be able to then really show off how they're being inclusive to this amazing community. That's really for me is really letting the, the wider media and brand support to become really accessible and adaptive for our community to then get to partner with and really be able to aid them in such a larger scale of what we're able to do. Yeah, definitely. And I know that you'll have a lot of inspiration from all walks of life and through all the work that you do. But again, what would your top three sort of main sources and forms of inspiration be? Oh, wow. Um, I always, I'll say, I'll, um, I'll, I was thinking of her earlier um, this week, so I, I'll definitely mention her, um, and as she was a friend of mine um, as well, but someone, she was a brand leader with you in your first yeah. year as well, was a, a dear friend of mine, Claire Weiland, who was a cystic fibrosis activist and a YouTuber and a motivational yes. speaker, and she founded her own nonprofit at 13, which is nuts. <laughs> um and the Claire's Place Foundation, but she was someone that she was the first real arm of chronic illness that I watched through YouTube when I was a student in university yeah. and sort of fell down the rabbit hole. That was her YouTube channel. Um, and to then get to really watch somebody thrive in their life with a chronic illness and for her to have a obviously cystic fibrosis is a terminal illness and in having that sort of disease and to really let she really flex such a positivity of even the the darkest points of living with a terminal illness and allowing people to really get to understand that her her worth wasn't defined by what her physical body was capable yeah. of um, was something that I was always so motivated by and her really wanting wanting that journey for herself to have so many people be so engaged with her. Um, she was, she's still even this day, um, it was earlier this week, Cole Sprouse, who was in the movie Five Feet Apart, the director, Justin Baldoni, was, is um, a very good friend with Claire's family and with Claire. 
Um, and so to really see him mentioning cystic fibrosis on a People Choice Awards platform amazing, as an actor yeah. and mentioning Claire's name and, and how she really was a helm of, of resource for that film as well was something so wonderful to see such an international platform for that discussion of chronic illness. But I always, even to this day, Claire's videos can pop up or I can check on her YouTube channel and just watching her really kind of hone in on, she allowed herself to have bad days yeah. and, and she was just as happy with herself having a bad day as when she had a good day. And that was always such a, a reminder for me to just the, if I'm if I'm not going to you have you're going to be kind to other people is one thing but you have to be kind to yourself yes. as well and extend that source of gratitude to you so I always if I I always suggest to so many people that if they really just need some sort of helm of inspiration in this community she is she will always remain for me and for my team here somebody that we're going to continue to champion behind that light that she um, brought to us Definitely. for the years I got to know her. Um, and then also, I mean, on, on my end, I, I really get to, I really in, enjoy, um, I'm was more of a creative writer and stuff. So getting yeah. to do more on the creative side of getting to read sort of fictional stories and writing on my end and writing books and getting to have for me, an outlet that wasn't so dependent on my health and also wasn't a work. Obviously, I'm working to publish, which is a fun, obviously makes it a professional yeah, setting. Yeah. But for me, fiction writing, it's a, it's a fun yeah. outlet. And I always encourage young people when your health has to become a daily priority, it, it does become a job and it can become very frustrating and agitating at times. Um, but really try to find something that you like to do that's sort of a fun outlet um, of artistic or athletic capability, um, whether that is on my end, it is creatively writing. That's something that my my health doesn't play a role into for other people they love. They, they love sort of getting even just sort of the fun window shopping that is Pinterest. That is sort of the most cathartic thing that they get to do. They enjoy it. They're athletic at some points. They love to be active and having sort of in America, we have fantasy football yeah. leagues or being a, being a premier league fan that I like I've, I've gotten to develop, which obviously in the UK makes way more sense than my American friends who laugh when I call it football because <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really having, I always encourage people to just find an outlet that does not have to always be dependent on your physical yeah. health. Um, be big or small you don't have to do it every day um that whole I always joke to people some people are not good at meditating and as much as I I had I'm blessed that I got to learn and it's something I can do but for some people shutting off that mind for any sort of time is just not I an option <laughs> so exactly so I always say when people say oh take those meditation moments and that self-care I'm like well for some people taking a bath is is not something that makes them comfortable because they need something active yeah. to do and that's cathartic so I always encourage people try different things I can some of my friends had me try to do more like ASMR looking things and I'm I'm too type A I'm like guys I'm, I'm bored in five minutes here I need to I, my mind needs to move a bit more for me to relax. Yeah. So that was not a fun outlet, but it was finding things that I enjoyed 
um, as well that really kind of, and it does get to, as I say, when you're, when you work quite a bit and you're always thinking, well, how can my body handle this or, okay, I have this work function or I'm supposed to go out with my friends this day of the week. So I have to plan my whole week around being physically capable to do X, Y, or Z. Um, it tends to become, it can become just overwhelming because you're trying to, to premeditate what you're physically going to be capable of doing in a few days. So I always say having those little windows or fun outlets of a game on your phone or a, an Instagram account that you like to look at. I, I will go on Invisius Instagram account and I will look at the dodo and look at a bunch of like baby otters and little um, like donkeys running around. And for me, watching animals is really funny. And so I enjoy it. It's like five minutes. My brain can shut off from work and I can look at something fun and endearing because I love animals, but it lets my, it lets my brain turn off and then let's actually, I'm able to then spark more inspiration to what I'm doing for Invisi Youth because my mind isn't so clouded with everything I'm trying to negotiate. It gets to sort of filter away. And that's when I tend to think of the best ideas or the best parts of our podcast or our programming when I let myself have a moment of decompressing. And that's when I usually am like, oh, that would be something great. I usually then have to write it down because I'll brain fog and forgot that I remembered something. But at least in that way, that's where I always tell people, let yourself have downtime because you'll actually become more, yeah, you'll become so much more proactive in your work if you let yourself have five yeah, minutes. definitely. And I think that's really, really solid advice. And I think it's often hard to take advice, but if you do, it can really, really change your life for the better. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. And even like I always tell people when they're they're wondering, I don't am I doing am I doing enough for my health or am I doing enough to to balance properly? Because everyone always wants the the advice to balance and perfection. But if you're right at this moment listening to this podcast, you are taking one step in your own growth as a person. So even just actively being as many as 50 or so minutes you're into this now you're you're taking a step for yourself so that's a pat on the back i i joke my my um my aunt rita who passed away when i was 17 she um, had a lot of health complications so she really during the peak of what i had going on she understood very well what i was dealing with um, and she always said I would wake up every morning and if I can look down and wiggle my toes, at least I did one good thing that day. If everything else can go downhill, but I woke up and I could wiggle my toes and at least one thing went right. And so I always have that mindset in my head that if everything professionally and personally go the whole day is just kicked out to nothing. If I, if I get up and I'm able to move somewhere, at least one good thing happened within the, the chaos of bad. And that was, that was enough for me to then move forward in the start of the Definitely. day. And to finally finish, I just wanted, you know, for you to share all of your social media handles that people can start connecting you on and watching your YouTube, listening to your podcast, because I think it's so, so important for people to start engaging and, and really getting on board and seeing the vision that is Invisi Youth. Oh, thank you. Of course. So we're at Invisi Youth Charity. So that's I-N-V-I-S-I, youth, and then charity. So you can find us on our website, InvisiYouthCharity.com, and then as well, social media. On, we're at InvisiYouth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
the our video podcast series, which is sort of the helm of our virtual programming. We have a YouTube channel because it's a visual show, which is super fun. We have fun games we'll play on there with our guests from all different countries that are sort of experts in their own areas. Um, and that's on in, our Invisive Charity YouTube channel and then the podcast as well, which is um, on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you could probably find a, a yes. podcast. The channel is yeah. there um, for sure. And and like, like you said as well, Sophie, really, if it's following us and subscribing, fantastic. If it's writing a comment or DMing and my our social media team there can always send things my way if they're for me or if you really want to find ways that you can even volunteer yes. get involved fundraise um even if you just love sharing stuff going hey can you put us on our a month can you put us on a monthly alert when you have new podcast episodes or spotlight story features coming out and i'll just i want to read them or watch them or listen or share we have people who, who that's all we do is we have a whole group on instagram that we'll just send our podcast links over to every time an episode or a spotlight story comes out because they just love sharing it or getting to listen to yeah. it and that's how they engage and we love doing that as well um and tay when you come on our social media nine times out of ten you'll see us bragging about how awesome Sophie is so definitely <laughs> oh, thank you no, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> no, thank you so much and it's been an absolute delight to have you on as a guest because you're so inspirational and like you were saying you're just acing life you really are and oh. you know Thank you're you. just so motivating and empowering to everybody else so everybody's going to enjoy this like interview so much because they're going to feel so inspired after listening to it and I, I thank thank you for coming on because it means the world to me because I know how busy you are as well of course and any anything for you all I will brag about you all the time thank that you. you um you really have coming into our leadership programming year one and just really hitting it out of the park the way you have just been always so so porous to learn so much from us and getting to see you thrive and grow the past two years of being part of this family of what we do on my end just constantly motivates me to grow and think better and think bigger because I get to see young people like you really just sinking your teeth into it and really building something incredible for yourself so I'm I'm always I'm so blessed to have you as part of the Invisuth family as well oh, thank you so much thank you and good luck with everything and once again thank you so much I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and it means the world to me to have you on my channel so thank you and thank you so much for having me I had such a great time I oh, love chatting with you yeah same with you and you're so so welcome thank you so much and we will speak very very soon See yes you later. bye bye